I shared with you last week about what I call the unbelievable privilege of likeness. When God said he made us in his likeness, this means that from the heart of God at the very beginning was an intention to create us on purpose for relationship. And I shared the higher the level of correspondence, the more relationship you can have. And so when God says about just humans, he doesn't say this about animals, he just says this about humans. When God says, I'm making you in my image and likeness, it is an invitation to intimacy with the creator of the universe. That's why I call it the unbelievable, because how in the world could broken sinners have a relationship with a perfect, awesome God? But that was God's heart from the very beginning. How many of you know that's a privilege? Like what we're doing here right now, this is a privilege. Nobody should ever come to worship the Lord out of obligation or duty. This is a privilege only humans have to worship a God who made us to be like him. So I shared about degrees of correspondence. Most of us this summer, you, you tried to get away a little bit, I hope, and get some R&R. Different people go different places, you know, to, to, to find beauty or to find refreshment. I know some folks that love to go to Tennessee and hear the gurgling streams and walk in the mountains. Any of those folks, come on, mountain people. Then you might go out to the Grand Canyon and you look at this magnificent spectacle before your eyes. It's inspiring. Oh, my gosh. Or you might go, you know, climb a mountain. You might go to the beach and see a beautiful sunrise or sunset. Everybody know what I'm talking about. There's a certain degree of correspondence there because we're all part of the created realm. And then I shared with you that, you know, we also have a little more correspondence with like pets. Any pet lovers in here? I told the story. And this is one of my favorite parts of my day. I come home, I bend over like this, I open the door, I say, hey, where's my girl? There comes my little Morky, racing around the tile. And she starts sliding into home plate. It's beautiful. She, she slides on her side. And by the time she gets to home plate, she's on her back. And I start tickling her tummy. It's the most amazing thing. And then my big golden retriever is actually Alicia's golden retriever. But I said, I'm the one cleaning up the you-know-what, so I guess it's my dog. Um, <laughs> That's how you know whose dog it is, by the way. Um, anyway, so that dog, he'll come running around the corner about two seconds later. And I told you he has a certain routine. It's a moment that we share. This is taken last Sunday after I preached the message, all right? <laughs> how many know that dog is living life to the max? That dog is a two-tennis-ball dog, not a one-tennis-ball dog, two-tennis-ball dog. In other words, I don't just want you to play catch with me with one tennis ball. I have two tennis balls. And I kid you not, when I go home, I'll sit down in my recliner, and the little Morky will jump on my lap, and he'll show up about a second later, two tennis balls ready to play. It's awesome. But how many of you know after playing that game for like three or four hours straight, you realize, you know what, this is not as rewarding as it was the first couple of times. And that's when I realize, and here's the thought I want to drive home, that's when I realize there's something about all the created realm that just doesn't satisfy because I was actually made to correspond to other people, and I was made to have a relationship with God. I saw a bumper sticker that kind of highlights our brokenness. It said, my best friend is, a, and it was a certain breed of dog. Now, if your best friend is a dog, I'm just telling you, you got some relational challenges, all right? You need to up your game. Because our best friend should be human beings made in the image and likeness of God and should be God Almighty himself. 
That's the privilege of likeness. But if I spend any length of time with my animals, I realize I am not made like an animal. And I want you to hear this. God made, I'm going to personalize it, and then you're going to personalize it. God made me to enjoy me. I just want that to sink in. Can, can you just shut your eyes and just say that, make personalize it for you. God made me to enjoy me. Just say it again. God made me to enjoy me. Now, I could use theological terms. I could say God loves you with unconditional covenant love, and you go, hey, woo. But let's just, like, boil it down. Enjoyment is powerful. If Brian and I have a friendship and I tell him, Brian, I just enjoy being with you. And he enjoys being with you. That means when we get together, it is pleasurable. Like, I look forward to it. Can you imagine the creator of the universe making you with the distinct purpose of enjoying you personally? One-of-a-kind masterpiece. And how about this? What is our goal on Sunday morning? It's not to come fulfill some religious obligation. I told you a couple weeks ago, you have one responsibility. Okay, everybody, let's not screw it up. We have one, one job this morning. What is it? To enjoy God. Isn't that simple? Hey, we come to worship. Be reverent. Be reverent. We're in church. We're in the Lord's house. Let's worship. God's not impressed. Any more than it would be, hey, I'm having the D's over at my house. All you kids behave. Hey, welcome, D's. We're glad that you guys are here. Have a seat. Here's some food. See you later. No, no that's not relationship. Relationship means, ah, like, what do we do at church? Oh, you're one of those hugging churches. Yes, we are. Because every person that comes here should feel delighted in. Can I get an amen? You guys are quiet. You got to have Delighted in. You're loved by God. You're loved by us. We're not tolerating you. We actually like you. We enjoy you. Turn to your neighbor. Joel, what? I didn't, I didn't communicate well to little Rocco. Tell him I love him. I, I delight in you. God made us with the ability to reason, to feel, to judge. My dog can't do that. My dog doesn't know where he came from. My dog has a terrible vision for his future. <laughs> My dog spends zero time in the morning looking in the mirror to make sure he looks really good. He never reflects on his identity as a dog. He's not reading any books on how to improve his dogness. He does not ponder why he is here or where he will spend eternity. He's never yet shared his heart with me. And I've never had a birthday card from any of my dogs expressing what a blessing that I've been to them. <laughs> but as far as dogs go, I would argue that those dogs are some of the best dogs that, uh, that on planet Earth, all right? I wouldn't trade them in for nothing. I love them. You guys just heard me. I confess my weakness about the dog. <laughs> but the message this morning is there's really nothing like being made in the image of God, and it's an incredible, unspeakable privilege. But with the unspeakable privilege comes responsibility. How many of you know in America today we have a lot of people talking about rights, but we are a, a nation founded on a covenant with God and with each other, and with rights come responsibility. So we can't always talk about my rights, my rights, my rights, because we also have responsibility to each other in our community and to the Lord himself. Freedom, of course, is the ability to make, cha to make choices, and that's an essential element of what it means to be a person. The Bible says that our thoughts, our desires, our values, our choices all have meaning and that we have genuine freedom to make decisions.
and to act on those decisions. Now, unfortunately, this, not unfortunately, this is, I'm going to backtrack a little bit here. This is really what it means to be stewards. You know, I've joked around with people before that we didn't buy 20 acres of land so we could cut grass for the rest of our lives. When our leadership of this church 40 years ago bought this property, they bought 20 acres because how many of you know they had a vision? I was talking with somebody the other day. They were saying, yeah, we, we go to all these zoning meetings and stuff like that, and people will be there, and they'll say, no, you can't let them build that because it's going to ruin my view of the woods because I won't be able to see the deer. And so the contractor will say, well, would you like to buy the property? Well, no, but I, I, don't, I just want, to, I don't want my view to be... No, you don't understand it. The whole purpose of buying the property is so you could develop it. Because you had a vision and you had a dream and you have freedom to make choices and you have freedom to create. How I many you know the whole, the whole call to rule and reign and take dominion of planet Earth means we have responsibility being made in the image and likeness of God to develop the planet for the glory of God and for the good of people. Are you with me? So you can't rule and reign if you don't have legitimate freedom to make choices. And I just want to ask you this morning, if you have the power to make choices, that means you can make good choices, you can make evil choices or wrong choices. Anybody in this room ever make a wrong choice with the freedom God gave you? The rest of you are still asleep. I'm asking for participation. How many of you made a wrong choice in your life? Okay, conclusive evidence that Genesis 3 is true. We have all, at some time or another, failed to live up to what we knew to be right. And the question we should ask is why? And that's the, that is the obligation of freedom, is with freedom comes the ability to make good choices and bad choices. And how many of you know, as a human being, or a human, humanity, we have failed incredibly? Because look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. But the Lord God warned him, Speaking to Adam here by himself, Adam alone, you may freely eat. Everybody say freely. That's important. Freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Notice the scene here. We have abundant food, close friends, meaningful work, open relationship with God, incredible beauty, and yet God only plays one restriction on us. Why did he place one restriction? Because that is what freedom looks like. It means you have the freedom to obey, you have the freedom to disobey. How many know the freedom to obey was, so, was spacious and wide? The, the, the freedom to disobey was so narrow and very particular. And yet we failed the test. We bombed the exam. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees of the garden? Notice the serpent. We know that the serpent is Satan. Romans 12 verse 9 talks about who, who, who is identity. And Satan is called, his name means the accuser, or his other name we call him the devil, which means slanderer. And I, I just want to share something I think is really important for us to remember as a church family. Sometimes you'll see people slandering God's name, slandering his reputation, accusing God of things that God, that God had no part in. How many of you know people like that, bitter, jaded people? When you hear all of that, please understand that that's the work of the enemy. It's part of the attack on God and the attack on God's character. When people are talking that way, they're involved in demonic, wicked stuff. 
And can I just tell you, when we as God's people talk that way, we're involved in demonic, wicked stuff. Satan is always after the reputation and the integrity and the character of God, and he's after you and me, people made in the image and likeness of God. This is why the Bible speaks so strongly against murmuring and gossiping and slander and talking about other people. I want you to hear this. When we do that, we're participating in the strategy and ministry of Satan and hell itself. I can't make it any more clear. I mean, this is why God hates loose tongues, talking about others, attacking other people's reputation. He hates it with a passion because it's not his kingdom, it's the enemy's kingdom. Can I, can I just challenge us this morning? Let's be life givers. Let's speak the truth. Let's love one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's, let's strive for unity and peace because the opposite is literally a participation in hell. And we don't want hell in the church, and we certainly don't want hell in our families or in our lives personally. Now, I want you to notice Satan's shrewd strategy this morning, all right? Satan has not, Satan's not very creative, but he is consistent. When he comes up with his plan, he's been working the same plan for years and years and years and years. He's still working it today. And I want to break this apart in Genesis chapter 3 and look at his strategy as it worked with Adam and with Eve. First point is simply this. He begins by questioning God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say? Part of what I'm trying to encourage us and lay a foundation for in this series on identity is let's listen to what God has said about who we are. Because what God said about you is true. And if this, if this attack, questioning God's word, is real, and we know that it is, if that's how Satan operates, what would be the most important thing for you and I to do as believers? Study God's, know God's promises. Because if God has spoken, our job is to know what he said and embrace it. And can I just tell you, there's no higher form of authority anywhere on planet Earth than thus saith the Lord. Now... I believe in our culture today, largely because of a false understanding of the separation of church and state. I mean, you know, the separation of church and state is an institutional separation. We have families, we have churches, we have states. They all have legitimate authority, and they shouldn't cross. You all with me? But separation of church and state was never meant to be a separation of state from God. There's a big difference. In other words, the state and the family and the church all have the same authority. It's God Almighty. Now, here's what I've noticed in public policy, and I'm looking at some good public policy people. We're told that when we speak in public, we shouldn't refer to the Bible as our authority. We should refer to social science and social data, which supports the Bible. That's why we're in the mess that we're in. Somehow we think we have to dumb down the message for unbelieving people. But God's word is the foundation of reality and truth. And I've been saying for years, no, when we testify at the state house, we need to be saying, thus saith the Lord. Because that's the foundation of truth. And here's something else just to point out. Why is it that when I say, thus saith the Lord, they say, well, pastor, you're a pastor, and we're really not supposed to bring the Bible. This is government. This is, pu- this is public education. We're really not supposed to bring the Bible in here. Well, somebody's worldview is jumped into the vacuum. 
Somebody's religious ideology is in the vacuum. Somebody's opinion is being legislated. Why don't we start advocating again for thus saith the Lord? The foundation of sin is, did God really say that? Let's just talk about this identity stuff we're talking about right now. Did God really say that there's two genders? Yes, that's what he said. Thus saith the Lord. Did God really say that marriage should be between a man and a woman? That's what he said. So should Christians be wishy-washy on our understanding of marriage? Absolutely not. Where God has spoken clearly, God has spoken clearly. My job is to be faithful. My job is to be faithful. I don't get to pick and choose, and I, and I am certainly not going to fall prey to beginning to question, is that really what it said? You can find all kinds of fancy interpretations, fancy interpretations of clear biblical truth. How can you read Romans chapter 1 and still believe as a Christian that somehow lesbianism and homosexuality, God's cool with it? How can you come up with that when you read Romans chapter 1? How can you come up in the church and how can you be sympathetic for gay marriage in America when you read your Bible and God tells you that a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two shall become one flesh? How can you be sympathetic to gay marriage in America and worship the same God we're worshiping this morning? But people will say, has God really said that? Yes. Yes, 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 yes a thousand times yes. We don't have the luxury to make God into our image. We don't have the luxury to pretend like God didn't say something or that that's not what it meant when the clear teaching of Scripture is clear teaching of Scripture. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure these things out. We read all the way through Romans 1. Was it abundantly clear to everybody that there are natural ways to express yourself sexually and unnatural ways? We can't fudge on this point right here. Thus saith the Lord. I, there's so many doctrines we deal with. We're trying, well, I'm not sure that, that healing's for today. Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure the Holy Spirit works the same way today. Where does it say that in the Bible? Well, I'm not sure, you know, that demons are, I, I think it's just mental illness. Where does it say that in the Bible when God talks about the demonic? Did God really say? Did God really say? Church, we better know what God said. Because to the degree that you don't know the Bible, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance leads to incredible pain and brokenness. And I'll tell you one thing. We're going to stand before God someday, and we have to be faithful to the truth. That's why, listen, our job is not to preach a message that's popular to culture. Our message is to preach truth and to know what we believe and to not be shaking about it. That's why I said, okay, so we, we dealt with the, this whole COVID situation. Should the church obey the state? Should we not obey the state? Should we be open? Should we not be open? I mean, what does the Lord say about all that? And as for me in our house, we said we're not ever going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that we believe we're the answer, not the problem, that we're not super spreaders, we're super blessers, and that we're going to be part of the solution to what's going on in our culture, but we're not going to shut our doors when every other kind of place is wide open, and we're not going to put up with that tyranny. Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. So you have to know what you believe because the devil will always go after what you think you know about God. 
Which leads me to my second point. We doubt the goodness of God. Look at what happened next. Eve said, yeah, God said you must not eat it or even touch it. In other words, Eve added her interpretation onto what God said, but God didn't say you couldn't touch it. So why is Eve saying that? Because here's what happens. When the devil plants doubt in your mind about the truth of God's word, his purpose is to put doubt in your heart about the goodness of God. How many of you have ever been disappointed in the Lord? I have. In other words, you prayed for something. It didn't happen the way you wanted it to go. You quoted God's promise on whatever, and it didn't seem to work out the way that you thought. Anybody been disappointed with God? Come on. Have you been around long enough? When we sing God is good all the time, and all the time God is good, the the interpretation of that for Americans is God's blessing me all the time, and everything's going to be great for the rest of the days of my life. Hallelujah. That's not the interpretation of that. The interpretation of that is that the core of God's being is a default to bless you. My favorite part on on the blessing song is he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you. When it's not looking good, he's still for you. When it's not going just the way you thought, he's still for you. When you didn't quite come through the situation the way you hoped, he's still for you. And like David said, I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That is a conviction coming out of the character of God. He says, you know what? It might not look good right now, but God's not finished yet, and I'm going to keep working walking and believing and standing, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Listen, if, you're, if you or your child is struggling with identity issues, my declaration is you're going to see the goodness of God over your family. God's not done with your family. Keep fighting. Keep standing. Keep believing. God's heart is a heart of goodness. It's the goodness of God that keeps us coming back, that keeps us worshiping, that fills us with hope. When you, if the devil can rob you of the goodness of God in your heart, you'll become hopeless. You'll become confused. You'll become depressed. You'll become discouraged. You'll you'll be disoriented because hope is an anchor, the Bible says. And hope, what are we hoping? You hope in the fact that God has declared and revealed himself as a good God. It's the cornerstone of who he is. But what's Eve saying? You know, God, he, you know, all these trees, but there must be something about this one tree. Why would, he keep, why would he keep this one tree from me? You begin to question whether God's trustworthy. You begin to question whether he really has your back. God didn't tell her not to touch the tree. He said, don't eat of the tree. She added stuff to it because she's now starting to really wonder if this God guy is trustworthy. Look at the next one. We move from did God say to questioning his goodness to eventually we reject his commandment altogether. In other words, not only did God say, but you're not going to die. This is interesting, folks. This is the first attack in Scripture on a doctrine of God, of truth. You know what doctrine it is? It's the doctrine of of the judgment of God. Can I just tell you something? You will not hear churches today in America talking about the judgment of God. All we're talking about is grace. All we're talking about is is love. The first commandment, the first doctrine Satan attacked 
was the doctrine that there is a judgment coming for sin, and there is a spiritual death if you sin. And the devil said, no, there's not. You won't die. Just live how you want. God will forgive you. Just live how you want. You will not die. Of course, they didn't fall down dead when they ate of the fruit, but what happened? Spiritually, they died. We're going to get into that next week. It's a big identity issue. You won't die. The devil is constantly going and saying the very opposite. Do you know that right now, our beliefs that we're talking about in the public arena are ridiculed and mocked? There are people that say, oh, you Christians, you're a bunch of Neanderthals. You believe those, that stupid book written by a bunch of people. Oh, you still believe in a creation? Uh, why, don't you, why don't you wake up to evolution and you know, be scientific and blah, 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 blah. Of course, they choose what scientific is, right? When they, when they want to use that one. But the point is they're attacking the authority of God, and they're basically saying when God says don't, they're saying, oh, it's okay. I mean, you know, the whole sexual revolution is based on that premise right there. It's, it's okay. There is no God. You can live however you want. There's, and here's the thing. There's no consequences. But with freedom comes responsibility, and with freedom comes accountability for our actions. How many of you know, again, please hear my heart. The mercy of God triumphs over judgment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But what we can never be guilty of is erasing consequences for behavior because we're emphasizing one aspect of God's character to the exclusion of another. That's what I'm telling you. I want to preach the mercy of God. I want to preach the forgiveness of God. I want to preach the love of God. But it's almost meaningless if you don't understand the weight of your guilt before God. And the righteous judgment that's coming to planet Earth for those who willingly rebel against the kindness and mercy of God. That's the whole gospel. Otherwise, the cross means nothing. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Why did he even come? Why did he have to die? Why did he die such a brutal, bloody death? It should tell us something about the magnitude of sin and how sin warps and twists and destroys people made in the image and likeness of God. So watch people, and you'll hear it out there, who are just blasphemous. They just they say directly the opposite of what God says is true. Have you ever noticed this in our culture today? Like we say two plus two is four. There's this phenomenon called gaslighting where if you get enough elite people to tell you, you're so stupid, who thinks two? That's so outdated. And you start going, wait a minute. Isn't two plus two four? I think it's two plus two four. You start questioning everything because this one, it says the complete opposite about the reality of the situation. And if you keep saying that long enough, people will believe the most ludicrous things. Go to the next one. This one's big. Seeking enlightenment via rebellion. Oh, this is a big one. How many of you know there are people today that say things like this? You know, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual. Ever hear people like that? It sounds so sophisticated, doesn't it? I'm not one of those stuffy churchgoers. I, I'm spiritual. <laughs> Let me tell you what that is. That's rebellion seeking enlightenment on its own terms. I had somebody tell me one time, they said, you know, Pastor, I'm not going to believe in Jesus unless he shows up and appears to me like Moses had a burning bush. I want, I want a burning bush. 
I just looked at him. I said, dude, you're going to be waiting a long time. Because you're asking God to reveal himself to you on your terms. Last time I checked, God sent his son to be beaten beyond recognition and crucified, buried him in the grave, rose him up three days later and ascended into the Father's right hand. He said he's coming back. What more news do you need? Like, why do you need a burning bush? You have a blazing cross of God's glory. Why do you need a burning bush? Why don't you accept God on the, on the radically generous, crazy, sacrificial, merciful, kind terms he's already established? Oh, it's because you're seeking enlightenment through your own rebellion. You know, again, Chuck Colson has a great book called How Now Shall We Live. I encourage you all to get it. It's the greatest book on Christian worldview I think ever written. But he talks about counterfeit salvation. Salvation through science. Salvation through sex. Salvation through unbridled human freedom. Salvation through new age. There's all kinds of counterfeit forms of salvation that people will pursue. But the end result is, please hear me, they're pursuing God on their own terms. That's why if you ever run into these people, say, yeah, man, I'm a seeker. I'm just open to trying anything. You are a confused squirrel is what you are, all right? <laughs> people don't naturally seek God, at least not the way he recommends. I forget which one of the great theologians said that people seek God the same way that a criminal seeks a police officer. It's not happening. No sinner is on a journey to find God. They're on a journey through their own rebellion to experience some type of enlightenment, but it's not the gospel enlightenment which causes us to repent of our brokenness and sin and to say, God, I need you on your terms. I need you. That's what produces salvation, not that garbage. And look at he says, if you eat the fruit, you'll have a revelation. I've heard people try to make arguments for smoking marijuana, getting high. Hey, it's a natural plant, pastor. Are you nuts? Now your form of enlightenment is pot and Jesus. I'm not kidding you. Your form of high is alcohol. Pastor, I just got to have a few to take the edge off. Oh, so it's Jesus and that liquor. Like, what else are you going to add to Jesus? You're, you know, you're trying to experience fulfillment through your own rebellion, and it's as old as the garden, and it doesn't end well. What do you need besides Jesus? Jesus and what? Jesus and what? Jesus and what? Everything else is an idol, and everything else will destroy us. Look at number five. This is where it ends. Claiming independence. You will be like God. Now, can I just share something radical with you? I thought they were already created to be like God. Isn't that what God just pronounced over? You are made in my image and likeness. And the devil says, hey, if you eat this, you'll be like God. What Adam should have said is, what are you talking about? I'm already like God. I'm already like God. Why are, why are you tempting me with something that's already my identity? But I mean, you know, it's crossing the line again. How many of you know you can try to be more like God than you are like God? That's why it's always good to come to church the first day of the week just to remind yourself, I'm not God. Look at your neighbor and remind them you're not God either. That's what keeps us healthy. 
You will be like God. Last point, open idolatry. They, so he took from the fruit and he ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. Open idolatry. In other words, we're just going to full-blown live in a way that we know is against God. And we have a whole culture like this, do we not today? Just flagrantly flaunting, pursuing whatever they think is going to make them happy and basically saying, I don't want anything to do with God. Now, I'm going to mess with you just in the last few minutes. Can I mess with you? I might have to start next week with a disclaimer after I say what I'm going to say. <laughs> when God spoke to Adam, Eve was not there yet. God spoke to Adam. He gave Adam the prohibition. He said, don't eat of this tree. All this other, enjoy. Eve wasn't there, and Adam didn't lead. Adam should have said, no, 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 no. If I failed to share this with you, I'm sorry, honey, but God has clearly spoken we're not to eat of that free. If he loved her, he should have ripped it out of her hand and made sure she didn't fall into sin. But Adam made an idol, in my opinion, out of the very gracious gift that God had created. Remember all the animals? He's going, man, there's nobody like me. And all of a sudden, Eve shows up. Wow! Amazing! Remember that story? And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, ah. So here's the deal. Guys, I see this happen in the church. We have women who are leading your house because you're being passive. And I've seen this. I say, well, how come you well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, got to keep mama happy? That's where keeping mama happy got us, right there. I say, well, how come, well, why aren't you doing it? Uh, and and I, know by their, I know by their lack of communication that what they're really saying is, I'm being a peacekeeper in my house. And there are so many men who your marriage suffers and your family suffers because God put you in charge to lovingly lead like Jesus Christ in your home, to lay your life down sacrificially, to lead your wife, to lead your kids, to be strong and provide direction for your family, but you don't want to make mama unhappy. So mama's the manipulator She's the Jezebel, and you get to be the Ahab. There have been times God made my wife differently than me. Sometimes she's like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know, especially with raising sons. I'm like, no, let him jump off the roof. It's going to be okay. Oh, I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. It's all right, it's all right. Look what we did as a kid. We survived. Uh, in, other, in other words, in other words, you have women trying to raise sons. You're not supposed to bring out the manhood in your son. You can't, you're a woman. Your husband brings out the manhood. So, oh, no, oh, oh mama bear, mama bear, mama. Stop it. Stop it. You're raising crippled kids. And husband, that's when you're supposed to lead. Say, well, I know, I know, no, but this is going to be fine. Trust me on this one. And lead, ladies, just so I don't have to do a disclaimer next week. <laughs> when push comes to shove, you don't really want to lead and be in charge of your family. 
and you know it. Some of the stuff you do because your husband won't do it, and you're frustrated. So you're just enabling his passivity by cleaning up his messes all the time. Stop it. Live in the pig pen for a while until he realizes no one's going to rescue him. Mama ain't coming to rescue him. He has to be a man. He has to stand up. He's got to grow. And then do this. Encourage your husband. Honey, I believe in you. Honey, I know you're seeking the Lord. I know God's going to give you wisdom. Honey, that's why I married you. You have what it takes to lead our family. I trust you. I'm confident in you. I'm confident in Christ in you. Uh, Go get him. Let's go. I'm behind you. I will follow you. We believe in you. Let's go. I mean, that, that causes courage to come into a man. Instead of, here, have some rebellion. Eat it with me. Thank you, dear. (laughs) He should have said, no, 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 no. Put that down. Put that down. We're going to honor God. We're going to live for God. We're going to live for his glory. That's a compromise. Get away. He should have grabbed the snake by the neck and whipped him to the ground and chopped his head off with an axe. That's what he should have (laughs) done. But that's not what he did. That's why we're so messed up. That's what we're going to pick up next week. So stand to your feet with me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Man, I love the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for truth. Thank you for not in dark. We're not in darkness, God. Thank you for speaking, Lord. Thus saith the Lord. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for Jesus, the word incarnate. God, thank you that you're crazy about us and you love us. And at this very moment, every one of us in this room, no matter our performance this week, God enjoys you right now. Wow, what an incredible life-changing revelation. Lord, I just pray you capture the hearts. By your precious Holy Spirit, capture the hearts of people in this room. If you don't know Jesus, please do not leave this morning. There's going to be an amazing bunch of folks down here with arms wide open. They would pray with you and lead you to Christ. Don't leave here without giving your life to the Lord. Also, I want to just declare this. God Almighty is ruling and reigning. He has the power to save and heal and deliver. Nothing is impossible with him, and we have the ability to come into agreement with his truth and watch God move in amazing ways. And so if you need prayer for anything in your life today, we want to believe for breakthrough over your life right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Lord, we honor you. Holy Spirit, continue to move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, continue to to give us your mind so that we can pray and prophesy and move in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord. God, we pray for this coming weekend with the men's encounter. Lord, capture our men and, Lord, break off chains and set us free to be the men you've called us to be. And, Father, thank you for the mandate to rule and reign. And as we leave this church today, Lord, we want to go out into this community with the great news of the gospel. Declare the truth, thus saith the Lord, and watch you, watch you move with power in, in response to the declaration of your word. 
So, Lord, use us mightily. Continue to build your kingdom, Lord. I ask your blessing upon every family here. Thank you for this Labor Day weekend, Lord, and for time to maybe exhale a little bit. I just pray that you be right in the center of all of our gatherings, and we give you the glory and the honor for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen. Hey, love you guys. Have a great weekend.